Funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. The Wedding Tree by Gareth Stack Certainly the worst accident that has taken place in the short history of the nuclear industry on this island. And as the disaster stretches into a third day, the Army and Civil Defence Forces continue their evacuation of civilians living within a 40-mile radius of the explosion. Behind me, smoke billows ominously from the mouth of Reactor 12, as brave men and women enter the shattered core in a futile effort to stem the life-threatening leak. Anything. It's just up ahead. We need to get the cooling stream as close to the core as possible. What are the levels like? Don't even look. Jesus. I can't be right. Is that right? <coughs> I told you. Turn it off. 3,000 MSV, Rory. That's, that's coming close to lethal territory. Do your job, Kian. I just need you to stop thinking and do what's been asked of you. They can't expect us to go in there. This gets shut down. Do you understand? No one else is going to do it. We're it. Us here. Right now. If we don't get this done, the whole place is going to melt down. And then that's it. Do you get me? You're asking me to... Millions! <coughs> Millions of people, Kian. We can't let that happen. Follow me. Dear boy, what can I do you for? I'm all right. Another nightmare? Something like that. Fair enough. Well, do let me know if you need anything. Absolutely. I didn't think we'd have a chance so soon to study radiation poisoning. Every day. Right on time. The parade of them. Like dead zone carnival. I must be a rare prize. A living cadaver for them to try all their tricks on. First comes Nursey to take my bloods. And then the skin man takes his turn on my neck and chest. Any autoimmune response from the plate that transfusion? 
Leukopenia is worse than I'd like, but except for things affected so far. Intervention? TA distress was alleviated by surgery. An intravenous administration of TA-DTTA was begun immediately. We switched to ZN-DTTA for 72 hours. Anything norovascular? <laughs> Surgeon is tiny. Oh. And she's Eastern European. Where's one of those expensive asymmetrical haircuts? She'd be pretty if she weren't so fierce. When she comes in in her green suit with its air supply trailing like a water scorpion. Like I know it's time for the pain to arrive. Her assistants in their aprons and leather gauntlets, they draw the screen from around the bed, touch, poke and grab as she instructs. Oh, oh. shattering and freezing over and over. I pray. Bark. Sob like an injured dog. I soil myself as I work me over. Mr. Mitchell, we're going to have to perform a small biopsy. Done in just a moment. Just a little Only a little more. All done. Just click the button when you need a little more morphine. There's a good man. There's still people alive up there, in the control room. Forget them. Help me move this into place. We can't just leave them there, Rory. They won't last the hour. Do you want to join them? No. Then help me hook this up so we can get out of here. Got it? It's in. Go ahead, lads. We have the hose attached. Is it working? Looks like... Oh. 
flowers are gone. Thank God they took them away. Probably contaminated. Couldn't bear to look at them. Wilted and burned like they'd been in a fire. Oh. There he is. Reading his paper. Smug as a tick. Shameless. Nothing to worry about but when his grandchildren are going to come visit. Long and happy life. Former soldier by the look of him. Probably lots of warm memories of the Corps. Not a bother on him. And no pain. Got the pain. Ah, Mitchell. Awake again. How's the form? Anything I can get for you? Probably shouldn't stand so close. I think it's a damn shame what they put you boys through. <coughs> Bloody disgraceful. I can't imagine what you must think about bundled up in there all day. No television, not even a radio. I must get them to send in a radio. Movies. Spend a lot of time remembering old movies. Capital. Which ones are your favorites? I've always been partial to David Lean myself. <coughs> Comedies. Woody Allen, mostly. <laughs> Indeed. Quite the wordsmith, Mr. Allen. Quite the villain, too. I saw the fire at home on television. Hard to imagine men can get near the place. Getting in was easy. Just getting out one piece. That was the difficult part. I don't wish to intrude, Mr. Mitchell, but perhaps it might help you to talk. What about? Well, uh, about it. What happened? The accident. It happened. Still happening. That's the end of it. Indeed. Capital, capital. You know, I was in the services myself. Forty years as a flyer. Saw some action in the Falklands. Flew in Desert Storm, too. Though I must admit, that one was quieter. Ducks in a barrel, old boy. Are you quite all right, Mr. Mitchell? Would you like me to summon the duty nurse? No. It's fine. I've had too much today, as it is. You were saying something. Tell me, Mr. Mitchell, are you at all familiar with Howard Hughes? 
a recluse. Terrible to think that's how the man's remembered now. Well, he was, wasn't he? Rip Van Winkle holed up in his hotel room. All untrimmed nails and jars <coughs> of his bodily fluids. You're right, of course. The man ended his days in squalor. But in his day, the man was a da Vinci. Think of it. An aviator who flew faster than anyone else on Earth. An entrepreneur who helped build Las Vegas. <laughs> Let me guess. Hero of yours. A childhood idol, I admit. Hughes was part of the reason I became a flyer. Used to watch him on the old newsreels. Joan Crawford, Ava Gardner, Catherine Hepburn, my goodness. Any starlet you'd see on the arm of Errol Flynn, you'd next see was stepping out with Howard Hughes. Sounds like quite a character. There's no one comparable today, old boy. Imagine Rockefeller, the Sultan of Brunei, and Warren Buffett all rolled into one. <laughs> Richer than Cretius by the end, but no friends, no family, no freedom, not even flying, and Hughes had loved the air. He invented planes 50 years before their time, tested them too. Bombers, fighters, spy planes. But in the end, it all went to hell. Drugs. Painkillers, I believe. Uh, that was part of it, but far from the whole story. You'll recall your friend, Mr. Allen, got himself into a spot of legal bother. <clears throat> I seem to remember something about it. Terrible business. Made all the papers. I remember. <coughs> More water? shouldn't stun my skin. It's not safe. Perhaps you should rest, Mr. Mitchell. You can humor an old man some other time. Please, Phillips. Go on. Sinatra offered to break his legs, you know. How do you use? No, Mr. Mitchell. Your friend, Woody Allen... You see, old Blue Eyes had been married to Mia Farrow many years before, when she was a teenager. After the marriage ended, Farrow fell into the orbit of a theater couple, Andre Previn and his wife, Dory. He was a composer, and she his lyricist. Lonely she rose through the city the building seemed barren and brown. She was lost in the lights of the distance in a faraway part of town. <laughs> Judy Garland, old boy, voice of an angel. You were saying? Yes, yes. Well, Miss Farrow became pregnant, and Mrs. Previn was forced to leave her husband. He eloped with the little minx, and the pair of them adopted a whole herd of babies. Countless, enormous brood. One of whom, well... Caused her mother a lot of problems. You could say that, yes. 
Meanwhile, Dory Previn was sent to a sanitarium. Poor thing. Racked by those dreadful machines they used to use on mental patients. Simply barbaric. Beware of young girls, too often they crave to cry at a wedding and dance on a grave. They still use them. Pardon me? ECT. It's back in fashion. Saps the depression right out here. Good heavens. How monstrous. <laughs> Makes one glad one's too old to be considered sincerely mad. It's all chalked up to senility, of course. What? <laughs> Where was I? No, a noggin's not quite what it was. You'll understand yourself someday. Ah, yes. After the war, Howard Hughes had a terrible accident. <clears throat> He was flying his test plane over Hollywood when the angle of the propeller shifted and it fell right out of the sky. Hughes tried to land on the Beverly Hills golf course, but he missed. Somehow he managed to drag his broken body from the wreckage. Against all odds, the man survived. In smithereens, as you people say. Collarbone smashed, one lung so badly damaged that it shifted his heart right to the wrong side of his chest. That was when they started him on the drugs, painkillers, that sort of thing. Morphine. Right. When they put you on that stuff, you're on it for good. I didn't mean to. It's fine. Don't mind me. Go on. If you're sure you'd like to hear the rest of the story, I, the last thing I'd want to do is upset you, old boy. <sighs> well, I do have a date set up with uh, Kitty Collins later this afternoon, but I'm sure she won't mind waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty Collins, oh, very good. Um, where was I? Noggin's not quite what it used to be. You'll understand yourself someday. You were telling me Howard Hughes' life story. You hadn't gone to the Woody Allen part yet. Ah, yes. Well, this is where the two join up, old boy. You see, many years before, Dory Previn had worked in New York as a chorus girl. She was underage, but it was wartime and people didn't ask too many questions. One evening, a wealthy patron came to see the show and afterward asked to meet the girls. For a young girl, unchaperoned in New York, well, you can imagine. But her manager insisted, and Dory needed the job, and so she spent an evening in the company of that wealthy stranger. Howard Hughes. No flies on you, Mitchell. Hughes wined and dined the girl. He told her he was off to test a plane over Hollywood, and afterward she would come and join him for a screen test. The big break she'd always dreamed of. Hughes even took her to a Japanese restaurant. This wasn't just during rationing, this was during internment. 
So it would have been terribly exotic and expensive. One can't even imagine. Then, over dinner, Howard Hughes began to cry. Dory was shocked. This tycoon, as desirable and famous as Bogart or Mitchum, and here he was, blubbing over a meal with a teenager. She worried the man had gone mad. Naturally, Dory tried to comfort him, and that was when Hughes told her something astonishing. Well, what was it? Howard Hughes told her that the war would soon be over. He'd helped them build the biggest bomb in history, and they were going to drop it on Japan. That night, little Dory could think of nothing but that horrible bomb. She imagined it as big as Tokyo, as big as Mount Fuji. She dreamed of going to Washington to stop this mad attack. And when she woke, she wrote a kitschy little show tune about her wild night with Howard Hughes. I was dancing in a nightclub summer of 45, dreaming of being a movie star, trying to stay alive. I was hoofing in the chorus, playing the usual dues. Then what you know for the second show, in came Howard Hughes. Think about it, Mitchell. Howard Hughes, rotting in self-imposed exile. The guilt for all those dead, dreadful, sticking to his skin like germs. Dory Previn fighting against her restraints as the shocks helped her to forget. Mia Farrow finding pictures of her daughter in her lover's bedroom. The heart wants what the heart wants. Time for you to rest, I think. Good night, Mr. Mitchell. Even with your sister, I don't mind. You don't know what it's like. I don't think I can take... There's just so much going on at home. With Christmas coming up, I don't know if I can get away. Karen, you're my wife. You're supposed to stay by my side. I can't, Cain. I'm... I just... can't. Your hair's coming out in lumps. I... You know, my mom just died last year. <laughs> 
wouldn't want to put you out. Oh, please, Kian, don't make me out to be the bad guy. There's only so much a person can take. Must be hard for you. I have to go, Kian. I can ring back like... Good to see you awake, old man. I could do with some help on the crossword. Phillips, you have to help me. It's too bloody warm. You have to make him let me go. Here, spit into this. Christ. Man, you're coughing up blood. Nurse? Nurse! What is it? What's the matter? Sorry, I haven't been to visit. I haven't been well. What's that? Oh, Mr. Mitchell. They put one of those horrible tube things in your mouth. Hold on. Let me put on my glasses. What's that? Oh, Mr. Mitchell, please don't blame yourself. That's how these things go. <clears throat> One minute, you're at home, feeling the bee's knees. The next, you're back here, looking like Nosferatu. <clears throat> Not to dampen your spirits, old boy, but you yourself resemble something from a hammer horror, <clears throat> with all these pipes pumping goodness knows what through your arteries. not to look so glum, dear boy. We'll have you out dating movie stars in no time. <clears throat> Do you think that will make my wife jealous enough to visit? Oh, I'm sure Mrs. Mitchell would be gladder than you can possibly imagine to have you back. She's probably been so worried that you'll perish. You're very severe, Mitchell. If she stays away, I'm sure it's because she's concerned about traumatizing the little ones. It can be very difficult for children watching their father suffer. It was very difficult for me watching my own father. You know, I grew up by the sea. Cyprus. Parents had to move after the trouble started there. They never managed to make it back, but I did. I don't know how familiar you are with the invasion, Mitchell. There's a green line running through the capital, divides the Turkish north from the Cypriot south. 
They don't let locals through, but you can cross it as a tourist. You have to walk through a dead zone of bombed-out buildings on either side to reach the border. Military outposts everywhere. Place looks like the ruins of Airstrip One. They'd given my parents' house at Nicosia to a Turkish family. I thought they could tell I was part Greek, but they were very friendly, welcomed us in, insisted on serving us Imam Bayuldi. They even let me walk in my family's old gardens down by the river. <clears throat> After my parents married, they planted an olive grove on either side of the path that leads down to the jetty right at the edge of the water. Over time, two of the trees leaned together and their branches fused. Creepy, growing into each other like that. Perhaps even trees get lonely. I told them all about my family, how my parents had met. Mother was a native, of course. Father came from Herefordshire. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly happen, what? <laughs> he was barracked at Nicosia, captured in 41, but after the war returned, was reunited with mother and married her. How bloody romantic. I admit, it sounds like a television version of Captain Corelli's Mandolin. I suppose I thought of it that way myself growing up. But do you know what they told me, Mitchell? Those Turks. Come on, Mr. Phillips. You need your rest. Right with you, Abigail. I'll hold you to that, Mr. Phillips. Five minutes or no dessert with your dinner. Quite a catch, isn't she? Oh, to be young and terminally ill. <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't have said anything. Maybe they didn't know until just that moment that I was part Greek. Maybe they just wanted to humiliate me in front of Eleanor and the girls. They told me I was a bastard, Mitchell. They said the woman who lived there before had been pregnant by a German soldier before the war ended. They said my father was a cuckold. Those Turks wanted to snap my childhood apart as though they were clipping through that olive branch, but they couldn't do it. Suppose it's true. Suppose my father loved my mother so much that he was prepared to raise another man's son. How could they take anything away from that? Imagine loving a woman enough to raise her boy. Imagine caring enough about the child never to tell him. 
I can't be separated from my parents any more than I can extract the Greek and leave the... the other. Any more than they can divide a country. The roots are separate, but the branches have grown together. But your father is not your father. My father is the man who taught me to sail. The man who carried us around Cape St. Andrew on his little wooden gaff cutter. The man who taught me to read from a tattered old copy of Don Quixote. The man who taught us to ski on Mount Olympus and told us the myths as though they'd really happened there. You think a stranger can tell you who your father is? There's an old cliché, Mr. Mitchell. I'm sure you're familiar. They say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. I've always found it ironic. We don't always choose our friends. They have to choose us in turn. But we can choose our families. They're the ones we take care of. The ones we make our own. What about your mother? Didn't she betray your father? You think I should hate the woman who gave birth to me? Despise her for some silly little seduction when she was a girl of twenty? It was war. How was she even to know that he planned to return? Women are faithless. Easy now, Mr. Mitchell. Nothing to worry about. We had them in during the night, scanning and measuring and all that. And the doctors, too, checking your progress while you slept. You're clean. Back down to safe levels, anyhow. I'll give you some privacy, old boy. Be right outside. No. I'm not supposed to live. Nothing to worry about, Mr. Mitchell. We'll have that tube out before you know it. We put in a call to your wife earlier to let her know the good news. Here, let me. Tell her not to come. As you like. I'm all done here. You can hang on to that sheet. We'll get you a new pad this afternoon. That's if you still need one. You'll be out of here soon, I expect. On the mend and watching the footy on your own settee. Right as rain. Fit as a fiddle. Some life. Belly full of plastic and nothing heavier than creamed rice for every meal. Played me last match. Giving the kids their last piggyback. At best I'll be... One of those bent-over, red-faced beetle men. Shaped wrong, walking with a stick and having to put up with the pity of pretty girls. Waiting for the cancer to arrive. Inevitably. Doctor will be here soon. Don't keep your friend too long, Mr. Mitchell. He needs all the rest he can get. Poor man. 
I've been thinking about what you said, Mitchell. If you don't mind too much, I'd like to tell you one last story. Go on. In the Air Force, I traveled the world. Ceylon, Java, Ecuador. But three months in the year, I lived in Waterville. Do you know the place? Hmm. I expect not. It's a tiny village in West Kerry. Rains most of the time, but you'd be surprised. Tourist spot, nonetheless. Wife and I used to run a and b there. Lovely people, the locals. Of course, they'd have the gold out of your teeth if they caught you sleeping. <laughs> we had to sell it off years ago. These days, holidaymakers prefer something more exotic. It was getting to be a bother anyway. They've made me give them up, of course. But I like to hold one once in a while for the theater. There are lots of little islands on the lock and off the coast of Kerry. Sunny days, I take our guests out in the mermaid, let them off to wander and picnic on a grassy rock. The Americans lap it up. They can trample all over a cranog and imagine that their blood runs through it. Sometimes we pass another boat out on the water and the visitors would call out and wave. If it was a fisherman or local kids exploring, they'd wave back or tip their caps. Sometimes, not very often, Mr. Mitchell, it would be a woman, alone, rowing by herself out in the early morning, face hidden under a scarf. Those women never answered when my guests called out and the Americans would be disappointed or insulted and ask why the locals were so rude and where the woman was going. If it was a foggy day and the woman was very far off and getting further, I'd tell them her name was Sheila Nagig, that she was the spirit of a drowned fisherman's wife searching for her husband. Then the big American father would play along and the wife and kids go quiet and watch her moving further away across the water. Sometimes I'd tell them other things. You know, I don't think I ever told any of them the truth. bigger than this ward and pierced with hard stones. Some of them are taller than would naturally occur and if you scrape the moss off you can tell that once a long time ago people carved them into soft rounded faces. 
This island isn't on any map, but the locals call it Inish Angle. There must have been an early Christian church there, Mr. Mitchell, probably consecrated a thousand years ago. But people still think of it as holy. For some of them, it's close enough. The local Killeen. The only place they were allowed to bury their stillborn children. That's what those women are doing, Mr. Mitchell. They're visiting their children's graves. I should leave before I get us both into trouble. Good to see you, old boy. Hope to... Hope you'll be well. Oh, Cian, is it... Is it safe? They told me you're going to be okay. I'm so sorry I haven't been. I was so afraid. The Wedding Tree was produced on location by Dead Medium Productions. Sound design and recording by Brendan Rio. James O'Connor as Mitchell. Ashling O'Byrne as Karen Mitchell. William Brady as Phillips. Sebastian Connellan as Officer Rory. All other roles were played by members of the cast. Written, directed, and produced by Gareth Stack.